0: So if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app. Uh, But I want to invite you to join me in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, Isaiah's prophecy was where we were last week and where we're going to be the next couple of weeks, uh, kind of leading up to Christmas, and this prophecy that was given 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, before we get into the text here this morning, um, I just want us to think about something here for a moment. Because recently, um, we've had a number of babies around our church. And babies can be such a great blessing to a couple, to a family, to a church, to a a community. My wife and I, we have four kids of our own, and each of them has been such a joy in our lives. But what I have found that I wasn't really prepared for when our children were born was how it can be very difficult coming up with a name for a child. Choosing the right name can be a real relationship tester. Now, there are all sorts of rules about choosing a baby that nobody really talks about, that nobody really tells you about. For instance, if your spouse has ever dated someone in the past, that name is off-limits from now until the end of eternity. If you would suggest a name that reminds your spouse of a person that they didn't really get along with very well in high school or junior high or or maybe in grade school, that name is also off-limits. If your spouse is uh, close to someone who has a child, well, that child's name is also off-limits. And then there is thinking about how first names and last names go together. And you have to be very careful about this because uh, then if you're not, you could become like the Mann family, M-A-N-N family, who had a daughter and they named her Anita. And they sentenced her to go through life uh, declaring Anita Mann, which you can see why that might present a bit of a problem. Well, what we find is that names are so important and they reveal a lot about us. They reveal a lot to us about a person. And so, uh, you know, I think it's significant to note that God, when he he was going to send this promised Messiah, he describes him with four very, very important names that reveal to us the kind of Savior that he would come to be. the, The kind of problems that he would come to address in our lives. And so, Isaiah chapter 9, and verses 6 and 7, I want you to follow along as I read this. Here's what we read. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, we're going to jump in this morning to that third name, the Everlasting Father. And I know that some of you who are here last week, you're, you're thinking, well, wait a second, we missed mighty God, didn't we? We're going to come back to that one, don't worry. But Everlasting Father is what it is that we're going to kind of look at and talk about here this morning. Now, I would suggest to you that there is, um, if there's anything that we would need a Savior for, anything that we would need to be redeemed and restored, it often can be the relationships that maybe we had with our fathers. Uh, of course, for some of us, we, we had great dads and we cherished those memories uh, that we had with our dads. But for others, there wasn't and hasn't been a great relationship that you've had with your dad. And, and maybe some of the greatest pain in life has come because of the relationship or lack thereof that you had with him. And maybe he was never there. Maybe he abandoned you when you were very little. Maybe you never really knew him. You know, uh, maybe it wasn't even his fault. Maybe he died when you were very young and you you, uh, remember back and you think back to some of those pivotal moments in your life when you wish that he was there, when you wish that he was someone that you could have talked to. Maybe uh, it was he was physically present, but he really wasn't there. If you know what I mean, maybe you always felt like he was just way too busy for you where he didn't really seem to have time to pay attention to you. Or maybe all that you can remember are how how he was so disappointed he seemed with you so often, or maybe how angry he seemed towards you, or maybe you you just always felt like there there was never really a connection that you had with your dad. That, that maybe uh, when you call, he he has the kind you have a kind of a relationship with each other where when you call up and he answers the phone and he realizes that it's you that he goes and just calls your mom. Because he's never had that really kind of meaningful connection with you before. Maybe your dad was abusive to you. Maybe physically, emotionally, verbally abusive. And for whatever reason, though, there is a lot of pain that gets brought up when you think about your dad. And so when I say that Jesus is to be your everlasting father, to be quite honest, that doesn't really sound all that attractive to you. It doesn't sound that great. I read an article recently by a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and we have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen of him. This is not Jonathan Edwards, the famous Puritan preacher, but this is a different Jonathan Edwards. And if you've ever seen Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan preacher, you know that this isn't him. But, but this is Jonathan Edwards, and he writes uh, this article that's entitled, Is God the Father Like My Father? In in this article, he talks about the difficulty that he had when when he thought about God as the heavenly father because of the difficult relationship that he had with his own earthly father. And, And Edwards writes this. He says, I was 25 years old before I could say the word father while praying because of the kind of relationship that I had with my dad or the lack thereof. Father did not roll off my tongue the way it did for many of my Christian friends. I felt like that word was uh, from a foreign language. How could I come to God without being completely in fear of Him when I had been totally scared to go home whenever Dad was there? How could I understand His love and His faithfulness when Dad left town because he loved something and someone more than me? How could God be a mighty fortress of protection when dad hit instead of hugged. Unfortunately, this is the experience of a lot of people in our society. And this ends up having a powerful shaping influence on how we understand God. Sociologist Vern Bankston, he writes in this book, uh, Families and Faith, he says, Studies conclusively show that the quality of a child's relationship with their father is the single most important factor and whether the child adopts the faith of their parents. Eric Metaskus, he points out that almost all of the famous atheists of modern times, if you go back for the last 150 years, guys like Sigmund Freud and Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Paul, uh, John Paul, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, David Hume, Bertrand Russell, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, all of them had one thing in common. If you go back and you read their biographies, you would see that either there was an absentee father or there was a father that they had a traumatic relationship with. In fact, Sigmund Freud, he would say this, nothing is more common for a young person to lose faith in God than when he loses faith in his own father. Beyond just our faith, our relationship with our dads can be some of the most shaping influences as we approach life. National statistics show that 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of teenagers who are in substance abuse centers come from fatherless homes. In fact, one of the studies that I looked at um, said that most of the social problems in our culture today could could be related back to fatherlessness. And so in light of all of this, uh, what I'd like for us to do today is to kind of identify four types of maybe father wounds that can be experienced in life. And then I want to show how Jesus came to heal those things, how Jesus came to be the everlasting father for us. Now, this may seem to be a bit of a different sermon this morning because uh, we're, we're looking at these common father wounds and they're going to be kind of the anchor points for us today. But my hope is that we'll be able to see through this hurt and through this pain ex- how, how we can experience Jesus and his redemptive power, his restoration power for these things, these deep hurts in life. And why of all of the different names that could have been chosen for Jesus, he chose to come as the everlasting father. By the way, I realize that um, this may be a little difficult for some of you to walk through this this morning. It could bring back some very painful memories uh, from your past, but I hope that you'll be able to stick with us today. Because my point is not to drag up these painful memories of the past or to even beat up your dad. But my hope is that we would be able to see the good God has offered us in Jesus Christ. The kind of salvation that he extends to you. The kind of hope that you can experience today because of Jesus Christ. Also, there is just one theological thing here that I want to clear up uh, that might be a little bit confusing to you, because at first, calling Jesus the everlasting Father might seem to be a bit odd, because clearly the Bible refers to God as the Father, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and He is God's Son, but here in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that He is called the Father, So this doesn't mean that they have switched places, that God the Father and the Son have switched places in the Trinity. What this means is that Jesus, in relationship to us, is like a father that we have always longed for. This is uh, is a term not referring to the relationship in the Trinity, but this is the kind of relationship that he would extend to us, the kind of wounds that he would heal in our lives, the kind of savior that he would be for us. And so uh, with that kind of as the backdrop, um, we want to talk about this first uh, of the four father wounds that Jesus came to address. And the first one is the never satisfied dad. The never satisfied dad is the kind of dad that, that, that he just never seemed to be proud of you, no matter what you did. I heard a pastor's wife one time, she said that her dad was this way. He wasn't unkind. He wasn't abusive. He always provided for her and for the family. He never left the family behind. But but she said, you know what? I never heard my dad say, I'm proud of you. And that was something that I had always craved. She said, I was the first person in my family to to go off to college. Not only did she go off to college, but she got a 4.0. And she had all kinds of academic honors that were coming her way. As graduation day approached, she said, you know... Uh, The thing that I was dreaming about more than anything else wasn't dreaming about walking across the stage and hearing the crowd cheer because of all the academic honors that I got. I I, I was dreaming about walking down off of the stage. And, And this mental dream, this fantasy that was walking through and playing through my mind was that as I walked down off the stage that I would see my dad pushing his way through the crowds that there would be tears coming down his face, that he would come up, he would put his arm around my neck, and he would say, sweetheart, we love you so much, we are so proud of you. She said, well, graduation day came, and it actually happened just the way I had dreamed, or at least at first. I was walking down off of the stage from graduation when it was over, and I saw my dad, he was fighting through the crowds to get to me. But when he came up to me, he didn't say, hey, we're so proud of you. Instead, he said, you know what? It's getting kind of late and your mom and I, we need to get going. We need to get on the road so that we can beat traffic and get back home. That's all he said. He just turned around and walked away. And she said, I was totally crushed. Absolutely crushed. Years later, she describes how that had affected how she would approach her job, how she uh, uh, related to her husband, how she related to her friends and her kids. And, and, And you see... For kids who grew up in a home like that, trying to prove yourself becomes somewhat the dominating theme in your life. Understandably, you can carry this perspective into your relationship with God. So that whatever you do, uh, you kind of have this nagging, unspoken doubt that, you know what, have I ever really done enough? Have I done enough to please God? Or maybe you think, well, you know what, God would just be happier with me if I was a better Christian. God would be happier with me if I was a better witness, a better husband, a better wife, a better mom, a better dad. Or you're constantly comparing yourself with others and you think, you know what, I bet if I was more like him, or I bet if I was more like her, then God would be really happy with me. But you see, your Heavenly Father could not be more different than the never satisfied dad, you know, Isaiah, he goes on and in chapter 43 and verse four, we read and he says that as children, we are precious to him as his children. God says this because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. Precious. I mean, it's a strong word, but, but if you keep reading the next couple of chapters in Isaiah, it tells us how God pays more attention to us than, he, than uh, maybe a mother would pay attention to a newborn baby. Isaiah says this in chapter 49 and verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget Yet I, God says, will not forget you. I mean, just think about that once. You ladies who have babies, I mean, you think about this. Could you go a whole day without thinking about your child? Could you go five hours without thinking about your child? I mean, my wife, Sue, I I think about her and she couldn't go like 10, 15 seconds without thinking about our children. It's like Isaiah has to leave the realm of fatherhood for a moment here to kind of think about things from the perspective of a mom and the attention and the meticulousness and the awareness that a mom has for her children. What Isaiah says, you know what, it's possible that even a mom could forget. But you see what? God, he is so in tune with you. He is so connected to you that even the most love-stricken mother uh, could not compare to God's love and attention and care in your life. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus would talk about how not a single hair can fall from your head without His knowledge. I, I know that there's a lot of moms who are very attentive to their babies, but I would bet that there's not a single mom in this entire world who counts the hair of their children every day and at night would know when one of them is missing. But that's how attentive your Heavenly Father is to you. That's how connected He is to you. Maybe my favorite description of this, it's found in Psalm chapter 139. David there kind of revels in this knowledge of the Heavenly Father That the Heavenly Father has of Him. And He says in Psalm 139, He says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. For You formed my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise You for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are Your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. He says, God, you knew me when I was just a little fetus. You, you knew the days and experiences that were marked out for me. You planned those things ahead of time. He goes on and he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Do you long to be special to someone? Do you long to be precious to someone? Well, you are special and you are precious in the sight of God. You wish that you mattered? You matter to Him. You know how much and how often God thinks about you? Well, before anybody ever knew you, He had fashioned you and designed you. He laid out every single one of your days. There hasn't been a single day where He hasn't been present in your life. Do you know how valuable you are to him? Well, he would go through hell itself in order to redeem you so that you could be with him forever and ever and ever. And that love is deeper and better than any love that you had maybe failed to receive from any earthly father. I mean, I don't know how to say this to you in any other way, but God is so crazy about you. He is more attentive to you than the most love-stricken father ever could be. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You know, I know a lot of great dads... But I don't know any dads that write songs for their kids over and over. But God, well, he's crazy about you. And he's everything that you've ever needed or wanted in a dad. By the way, before we move on to the second father wound here this morning, I just want to say something to those of you who are fathers this morning. If you want to be a good Christ-like dad, One of the best things that you can do is to be crazy about your kids and to let them know that you're crazy about them. Yes, it's so important that you teach them the truths of the Bible. It's important that you teach them how to be obedient to God, how to follow Christ. That is so important. But if we just talk, that's going to fall on deaf ears if we don't show some action in that. That we show that we care. Because it represents the Heavenly Father. We have the opportunity to represent the Heavenly Father to our children. Well, Number two is what you might call the time bomb dad. You know, the time bomb dad is the kind of dad that you never quite know what to expect from him. If he has a bad day at work, he comes home, maybe the smallest thing sets him off. Maybe drugs, alcohol have kind of magnified these outbursts, but you've been hurt. Maybe verbally, emotionally, physically. Now, of course, uh, you never really learn to love this kind of dad because you, you, you never learn to love someone that you're just totally terrified of. In fact, research shows that there's an incredible amount of anxiety disorders that find their beginnings in this style of fathering. For example, kids who grow up with fathers like this often become control freaks as a response Because you see, their dad, when he exploded, their lives just came crashing down around them. And so now they want to just control everything so that their lives uh, don't, they don't experience this in their lives. So this never happens to them again. This can affect how we view our Heavenly Father as well. You have a tough time trusting Him and leaving things in His hands because you have a hard time trusting that He's actually going to be able to take care of you. Well, what happens if he's in a bad mood? What happens if he's not consistent in the way that he, 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 he uh, responds to you? Just like your earthly dad, uh, you, you've always tried to figure out uh, what you could do in order to kind of contain him to, to try to stay on his good side. When something goes wrong, you think, well, uh, what did I do now? What's he angry about now? But you see, your heavenly father could not be more opposite than the time bomb dad. In Psalm chapter 103 and verse 8, King David would say this. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Abounding, it's a word that means consistent, constant in that. And, and by the way, if you think about this, you know some of you grew up with dads who were just the opposite of that. That they were the opposite of being uh, slow to anger. They were abounding in anger. They were uh, s- slow to have affection towards you. But David says that the Heavenly Father is consistent in his tenderness and his steadfast love. He is slow to anger. Th- that he, he, he will get angry, but he doesn't just fly off the hang- handle. It takes him a, lot, a long time to get to that point. In fact, there's a word picture here that we read in Hebrew that I think is kind of interesting. It it literally says that he has these long nostrils. Now you think about this and you say, well, what does having a big nose really have to do with not getting angry quickly? Well, here's how it works. You know, when you think about when you get angry, you start breathing hard, you start gritting your teeth, you, you, you snarl up your nose and... It's kind of like that little emoji that you see sometimes. We'll put that next picture up on the screen. But, you know, that smoke is just kind of coming out of the nostrils. You're just getting angry quickly. You just explode. You blow up. You fly off the handle. But the Heavenly Father, He's not described like that. He has long nostrils. And that doesn't mean that He has a big nose. But it means that He's slow to anger. That He is abounding in steadfast love. You see... You you can see this in the story that Jesus uh, tells about the prodigal son in the New Testament. Here's this son. He's wandered away. He's been very disrespectful to his dad. In fact, this dad has every right to be angry with his son. And yet, instead, every day he stands out at the gate of his house, just longing for his son, waiting for his son to repent, waiting for his son to come back home. Yes, your Heavenly Father is going to discipline you sometimes. Yes, sometimes He is going to allow some painful things to happen in your life. But listen, for those of you who are His children, He always does what He does in your life because He loves you. He always does what He does in your life for your good. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10, the author of Hebrews says this, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, sometimes maybe out of selfish anger, sometimes maybe out of frustration. But your heavenly father never disciplined out of anger, he never does that. You know, any anger that he has towards sin, he has poured it out already on Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus took your condemnation. Jesus took your anger, uh, took the anger, took the uh, judgment. He took the wrath that you deserved. There is nothing that is left for you to take. And so every single thing that God does in your life, He says it is for your good so that you might share in His holiness. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. I mean, isn't that incredible? That there is nothing that has happened in your past. There is nothing that is happening right now in your present. There is nothing that happens in your future that God did not intend in your life for good. That's the assurance that you have with the Heavenly Father. Because He's the opposite of the time bomb dad. He's the dad who took the anger that you deserved so that he could give you his love and his compassion and his care. And what I think is so amazing about this is that when we experience and understand the Heavenly Father's love for us, it gives us a whole new perspective on how to treat and how to relate even to maybe our earthly fathers, no matter how they may have failed us. Well, that brings us to number three, and that's the emotionally distant dad. The emotionally distant dad is the kind of dad who may have been stable. He may have been consistent. He never abused. He never abandoned. But he also never expressed any emotion towards you. He never told you that he was proud of you. This is the kind of dad that was popular in times like the 1900s, uh, mid-1900s, where, where it was a time when dads often... Um, They didn't think that listening or maybe connecting with their children was a very important thing to do. In fact, many of you who are here today, especially if you're maybe a little older, uh, you probably grew up with a dad like this. One article that I read said that there are three things that every child needs to hear. That every child needs to hear their father say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and here is what you're really good at. And kind of fill in the blank there. Well, uh, may, maybe you never heard those things, and that's left this insatiable desire to kind of prove yourself that, that, so that you could hear that from somebody else. You, you want to hear somebody uh, say what you had longed to hear from your earthly dad. Years ago, I, I read an article by Bo Jackson that I found quite incredible, and I kind of filed it away. You might remember back uh, 20 years ago, Bo Jackson was one of the most incredible athletes uh, around, Not only did he play professional baseball and football, but he was playing these sports at like the top level. He was one of the best in both of those sports. There's a Sports Illustrated article that I read about Jackson, and Jackson said this in that article, and I quote, My father has never been to a game, a football game or a baseball game, to see me play. Not a single one. I mean, can you imagine, here I am, Bo Jackson, the so-called premier athlete of the country... And after the game, I'm sitting in the locker room. I'm looking around at my teammates, some of them who had never even played in the game. And I am envying them, those who have fathers, who have dads in the locker room, talking with them and going out with them after the game. I never experienced that and I always wanted to. Kids who grew up like this, they, they don't just fail to have unhealthy or have healthy relationships with their dads. But often they struggle to develop relationships with anybody in their lives. Because they've never learned how to be open emotionally with other people. Not their spouse, not their kids. Uh, maybe uh, it's hard to even develop friendships with people. They, they go through painful circumstances in life and they do it all alone. They, they might be extroverts where they are acquainted with a lot of people, but deep down they, they have no real deep connections or deep uh, relationships with anybody else. Sadly, this can play itself out in the next generation as well as they pass some of these things on. But, but you see, you have to understand that your Heavenly Father is not like that at all. That your Heavenly Father is so emotionally connected to you. You know, I think again about that story that Jesus would tell in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, this son that had wandered away. And one of the details that I think is so incredible about this story, something that I just recently noticed is that here's this father and every day he is getting up and he is going out to the gate and he is longingly looking for his son, desiring that his son would come back home. Here's the thought that kind of occurred to me as I was reading this and Here's this father. I mean, he's an adult. He has a job. Every day he's standing out there and he is looking for his son. And as he's doing that, he's not able to do his job. I mean, in fact, he doesn't do his job because he is so concerned about this child. He can't do his job because he wants to see this child restored into the right relationship. What's so incredible about that is that your heavenly father is so connected to you. That he cares so deeply about you that he he won't do anything else until you you have been redeemed and restored into a right relationship with him. He will go to the greatest lengths in order to make that happen. When this son comes home, you know, the father, there's this picture of the father and he's picking up the edges of his robe and he's running after his son. And this would have caused ridicule. This would have caused shame in that culture. But friends... That's how connected your heavenly father is to you. That he loved you so much. That when you were running away from him. That, that when you had turned your back on him. That when you had humiliated him. When you had, had taken those nails and pounded them in his wrists, in his hands, in his feet. When you had betrayed him. He, he still went after you. He still went searching For you, He searched you out. He came running after you. He rescued you and restored you into a right relationship with Him. When you think about that, I mean, doesn't that just leave you in awe of who He is? That He is the Heavenly Father that you've always craved for. He's the Heavenly Father that you have always looked for. Well, the last father wound that we could talk about today is the absentee father. Of course, this is the dad who wasn't there. Now, over 40% of children in America today, I read, that, that uh, live in fatherless homes. Some areas, this number is even higher than that. But here's what happens. that Kids often interpret subconsciously that this absentee father is kind of a rejection of them. It's a result of maybe something that they've done. They think that there wasn't enough time, they weren't doing enough in order to get uh, dad to stay. They weren't good enough in order to get dad to stay. They may never articulate this, they may never say this, but deep down that's often what is going through their minds. Counselors say that often this manifests itself with this kind of background sadness. There's always this fear that things are just going to fall apart. That whenever there is something good that happens in life, it's hard to be happy about it because you just expect that, well, things are going to go south really fast, really quickly. They have this nagging suspicion that life is just going to end and they're going to be all alone. Often this sadness and this fear begins to express itself as anger. Fatherless boys, in the absence of a father figure, can begin to demonstrate the, their. Uh, they, they don't understand how real masculinity works, and so they, they turn to uh, other means in order to express their own masculinity. They turn to things like rebellion and athletic prowess, womanizing and violence. You know, the, the lack of a dad who would get down on the floor and wrestle with them and show them what strength under control would look like. A dad who could show them how to leverage strength, not to dominate them, but to protect, to empower, to provide. And so because they never saw that, they think that their strength should be shown in dominating other people, in, in being violent towards other people. Girls who have an absentee father often manifest this in similar ways as well. Sometimes struggling to have a respect for themselves, uh, uh, having confidence in the workplace. Sometimes in the absence of a father's love, there's this crave for the attention of a man that they never got from their dad. And so they'll go to all of these different lengths to do whatever they can in order to get that. You see, many of us come from all of these places, maybe not so extreme, but where there have been these wounds in the absence of a earthly father. And what I hope is that you could see today is that Jesus is the opposite of the absentee father. In fact, we're told in Hebrews chapter 13, and verse five, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He wouldn't leave you if you turned your back on him. He wouldn't leave you if you had humiliated him. He wouldn't leave you when you had rebelled against him. Jesus is the kind of dad who wouldn't walk away from you Just because he had a better option somewhere. Instead he would not stop looking for you. He would not be happy until you came home. He he, he would not be happy until you were a part of his family. And you experienced real life that was found in him. Instead of using you and abusing you for his own pleasure. He allowed himself to be tortured in your place. So that you could spend eternity with him. And as you pounded those nails into his hands and into his feet, you looked at him and you said, you know what? You don't matter to me. I I don't want to listen to you and I don't want your counsel. But he looked back and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the the heavenly father that you've craved. That's the heavenly father that Jesus came to be. That's the one who you've always been searching for. You know, even for those of us who had great dads, at some point our dads have probably disappointed us. At some point, even the best dad fails. Here's another reality that even the best dad dies. Even the best dad does not live forever, which kind of leaves this, can leave this big gaping hole in our lives. And that's why I love what Isaiah says here. He calls Jesus the everlasting father. This is the father who never leaves. He's the father who never disappoints. He's the father who never fails, never abuses, never dies. He is everlasting. From the very beginning of your days he paid attention to you. From the time that you were in the womb he knew all about you. There's not a single thing that has ever happened in your life that he was not watching over and intending for your good. There's not a single detail of your life That he did not know about or delight in or cherish. He is the father that your heart has always craved. Maybe even if you didn't know it. And so he never uh, turned from you. He always had his eyes on you. And so what what I want us to see today is that we need to turn our eyes and our attention. and, And turn in the direction of Jesus. And find in him the hope. That we find in the heavenly father. Find in the hope that he has created us for. That as we turn to him and as we trust in him. That he transforms our lives. He transforms our perspectives. He can save you. He can mend even the most strained relationships that you might have. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to sing a closing song just as, as we conclude this morning. But as they're coming I have one more question for you. My question for you this morning is this. Do you know the Heavenly Father? Do you know the love that the Heavenly Father has for you? Because if you don't, well, this morning you can. You know, it's all about the gospel. The gospel is this, that the Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, left God's throne. He came to earth. He suffered in your place. He died for you so that He could cover your sin and restore you into a right relationship with God the Father. He offers his love. He offers his salvation to you. He just asks you to receive it as a gift. You can receive salvation by coming home, by receiving Jesus into your life as the Lord and as the Savior, as the everlasting Father. If you haven't experienced this in your life yet, well, my hope is that today would be the day when you cry out to Him. And as you call out to Him, that you would experience that salvation. That as you uh, run to Him. You run into the arms of the everlasting Father. And you find the rest and the joy. The peace and the hope. That can only be found in Him. Like I said.